0: Yeah, he's busting out some Avril Lavigne. Yeah, that's good. Well, it's good to be here with you this morning. Good morning, everybody. Come on, let's get a little... Yeah, there you go. I mean, we have a group of men up on the men's retreat, so we need a little extra, you know, a little extra energy from those of you in here. But uh, we're so glad to have you with us here today. We are in a series we are calling It's Complicated, and it's a series about relationships. Now, I need to make a few disclaimers. When we we do this, we're not saying that every single uh, relationship is difficult and it's hard and it's a, it's a grudge. We're not saying that at all. What we're saying is that uh, we, are, are, we serve a relational God. God is a relational God. Uh, he exists in the Trinity. He's made us in his image, so therefore we are made for relationships. And if you are in a relationship with at least one other person, which hopefully you are, then you guys had to think about that for a second. I know it's like the 21st uh, you know, century, and there are people who are friends with their AI, but you know, if you have at least one other person, that things will at times get complicated. It's just the way it is. And so we want to address that, and we want to look at the, what are the tools and the skills and what are the biblical principles, really, that God gives us that helps us to flourish in these relationships, even when they get complicated. So uh, most of you are here with someone today. Many of you are here with. Some of you maybe you came by yourself, and you can think of other people in your lives. But in, in those of you who are sitting next to someone, I want you to really quick just turn and look at that person and tell them the most difficult thing about them. no, no let's not do that, let's not, that, we'll, we'll use a different icebreaker next time, but if you think of the people in your life, some of you are actually doing that, like that was what the car ride over was this morning, right, the Sunday morning car ride, when we think of our, our, all of our relationships there are times when there are difficult things that we have to interact we have to either put up with or navigate through and all of that and that's all part of being people and, and being a human and learning to flourish and i do believe that god has made us for to flourish in these relationships and, and sometimes it's just things we have to work through. There was one person I heard on his um, answering machine or in his voicemail was saying, hey, uh, he, he was kind of saw all the complicated things in his own life and said, I'm working on fixing some relationships. And so his, his voicemail says this, hey, I, I'm not answering my phone, phone right now. Uh, I'm, in personal life, I'm working on changing some things. So leave your message and if I don't call you back, you're one of those things. Sometimes when we think of relationships, we think that that's the easier way, is to change the people, to get them out of our lives, and then it's easier. We can have smoother lives, but I don't think that's how God has designed us. So today what we're going to do is we're going to continue our series we started last week, and we're, this series is really, we're looking in the book of Colossians. So I want to even invite you to go to the book of Colossians. We're in chapter 3. If you are new to scripture and you hear that, uh, Book of Colossians is a, is a book in our Bibles kind of near the end. It's in what we call the New Testament. You're always welcome to use a digital copy. And we have some Bibles in the back. If you don't have one and want to grab one, you're welcome to grab it. And uh, in the Book of Colossians, we see Paul is this author who's writing in the, in the New Testament. And he gives us some instructions that he thinks are useful in our relationships. Now, what we looked at last week was really the first, the foundation for every good relationship, especially for those of us as we're walking with Christ and we live as Christians, is there's this foundation that begins with our relationship with God. Now, if you're here today and you're still seeking faith and you're trying to figure this out, these principles still apply to you. But we believe the more we understand our own relationship with God, that that gives us the strength and the tools we need to then have the relationships with other people. And last week we talked about we talked about our, our vertical relationship so our vertical relationship with God. And there's a couple things that we see about this. Now, our our relationship with God first the first thing is this, we know that we have a new identity that is secure. So your new identity as a Christian in Christ is secure. Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. He says therefore Basically, based on everything he said, the first two chapters of this book, which are our identity in Christ, he says, if you have been raised up with Christ, and this word if you have been raised up really is saying since you are, this is what is true of you as a Christian, since you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. But so the foundation first, our our identity is secure. When we think of our relationship with God, it begins with this understanding that our new identity is secure, and we are seated with Christ. We've been raised up and seated with him. That is our location spiritually. It's no longer uh, just people who are living on earth, struggling through a broken world filled with sin, that our new identity is in Christ. We're raised up with him, and that cannot be taken away. You with me on that? So Paul writes in in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Later in the chapter, he says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is a secure identity. It is solid. So even if you struggle in your relationships, even if you are here this morning, you say, Wow, this week has been brutal. I have made so many stupid decisions this week. And you come on a Sunday morning and your thought is maybe today I can take a step back closer to God. I want you to know that in Christ, you could never be closer than you are now. And you will never be further away from him. Now, there can be sin that gets in the way of our relationship, but your identity is secure. We believe that. We believe scripture teaches that. And so we want to always know that we're living out of a foundation that cannot be changed even by our own humanity. Okay, so first thing is this, your identity is secure. The other thing that we see with this is that the power of the Spirit is at work in you. So not only is your identity secure, but you have something fundamentally different about you once you are a Christian. That's why Paul writes, set your mind and your hearts on things above where Christ is. He said that's where you are, that's your identity. And then he goes on in verse uh, th- 3, 3. He says for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed you'll be revealed with him in glory. So the other thing we see about our vertical relationship is that something fundamentally is different about us. Our identity is secure and now we have the spirit of God in us. Our lives are hidden with Christ. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 he says I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. And it's important that we start any, we're going to talk some practical tools for relationships today. But it's important to know that you have everything you need, the power you need to embody and live out these principles as the life of Christ is in you. And that's good news, is it not? Because there are days when it feels like, I just don't have what it takes to live out this principle today. I don't feel like doing it. And, and one of the things we found in our marriage that is very helpful and even in parenting is knowing when those are the days you feel like you don't have that power. You know the days when you say like, hey, I just want you to know right now, I'm kind of in a bad mood. You know how helpful that is to just call that out, <laughs> to recognize it? And there's days you feel like, I don't have the strength today to be Christ-like. Well, you do, you have everything you need in you And that's a practical tool, that side note. Sometimes it's okay to just say, I'm not in a good mood. I need you to be strong today. (laughs) But we do want you to know, at the end of the day, it's the power of Christ in you that's going to give us the tools and the fuel we need to produce what we're about to talk about. All right? So let's start. We always want to start with our vertical relationship. And in that, your identity is secure, and you have the Spirit of God living in you. So you have the power of Christ who will live out these things in you. Okay, with that, let's transition now and start talking about some practical things. Let's talk about now that we have our foundation of our vertical relationship, which we talked about last week. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen. Now we can talk about the horizontal relationships, the people sitting around you, the people that drive on the freeway next to you, the barista who is going too slow at your favorite coffee shop. Those relationships are the ones we're going to talk about for the rest of this series, but with the foundation of a secure relationship with God. The poet Robert Frost, in one of his most famous poems, Mending Fences, speaks of a conversation he has with his neighbor. And it gets to a point where he's f- mending a fence between his property and his neighbors. And he at one point says, why are we building this fence? To which his neighbor replies, good fences make good neighbors. I've always heard that phrase and I thought, you know what? That's a brilliant phrase. I agree with that. Good fences do make good neighbors. And if you're like me, many of us, um, if you've lived in other places of the country, like Midwest, you know the Midwest, they don't use fences? At least they didn't when I was growing up. Your dog could use anyone's backyard. And when you play football in your backyard, you get to use all the neighbors' backyard so you can have a proper football field. It's not until you get to the West Coast, especially the first time I moved to Seattle, and Seattle, they don't like each other because it rains all the time. So when you get to Seattle, everyone has these big wooden fences. Now we do that down here as well. I don't know why. It's always nice and sunny, but uh, we think good fences make good neighbors, and I, I will agree. I don't like my neighbors looking into my backyard, so I like a good fence. Uh, it, it's good, but as I was thinking about that phrase, even as that poem goes on, Robert Frost says this. I began thinking about it, and I said, before I build a wall, I want to know what am I walling in, and what am I walling out? And to whom was I likely to give an offense? In other words, he's saying, wait, if good fences make good neighbors, what are, we keep, who are, what are we trying to keep out? Or what are we trying to keep in? And I thought about that phrase, and I thought, good fences make good neighbors, but good fences do not make good relationships. They don't make good relationships. Because fences are designed for a few things. One, they're designed to keep your stuff in your yard, right? but they're also designed to keep people from seeing your stuff in your yard. And any of us who have kids, and sometimes my yard doesn't look really nice, and I don't need people to see my mess and to see what my family looks like behind the fence. Sometimes fences are designed to keep you from seeing in, to keep you at a distance. So they might make good neighbors, but they don't make good relationships. When we try to keep Protect what you see behind the fence. It also, I was thinking about this. It also, I don't always want to see what's in my neighbor's backyards either. Anyone with me on that? You, sometimes you see their front yard and go like, I'd hate to see that backyard. I don't want to know what's back there. Sometimes fences keep us from wanting to know the truth about someone. And in relationships, that doesn't work. If we say, ah, I don't want to see your mess because it's going to change how I think about you. I love how Robert Frost ends his poem. He says this, something is there that doesn't love a wall. I want those walls down. And for us, when we look at this this series on relationships, I hope the posture of our heart is this. Not that good fences will make good relationships, but we want those walls down. And I believe Paul is telling us to take the walls down. He wants us to flourish. So let's continue with Colossians 3 and see how does he talk about this? So first of all, we're going to jump down to verse 5. I'm going to go pretty quickly through a few of these. He says, remember, you're seated with Christ now. Set your minds on things above. Therefore, verse 5, treat parts of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, desire, greed. All of those amount to idolatry. So he starts and says, you're no longer, you are in Christ. Put your mind on things above and take your mind off of all these other things. Sexual immorality, uh, passion, greed, desire, the things that, if you think about it, are all about me. They're what I want in the moment. They're what is going to make me happy, me feel good, and they take from others. So just take, get rid of those things. Actually, go, go down in verse 8. He says, You also rid yourselves of all these things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene speech from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Now look what he says. Since you have stripped off the old self, with its evil practices and you've put on the new self which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. So Paul is saying this, hey, when we talk about relationships, you're seated in Christ, your vertical relationship. Therefore put off the old and he lists all of these different things that are evidence of the old life. And he tra- he says and put on the new self which is being renewed and, and transformed into the image of the one who created you. So that's the foundation. Now, he's gonna get really practical. Verse 12. So, as those who've been chosen by God, holy and beloved, now I love that, that don't. let's not skip over it. Those who've been chosen by God, those who are in Christ, and, and if you've received his forgiveness, you are, look at your identity, holy and beloved. You are considered in the eyes of God already forgiven. You're not considered someone who's a mess and who's in process. Yeah, you might be in process, but he's saying, but you, your fundamental identity is holy and beloved. That is who you are. You are beloved by God. That's not going to change. So therefore, if that's you, check this out, verse 12. Put on a heart of compassion, of kindness, humility, gentleness, Patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, must you do also. So notice what he changes here. He starts with, this is who you are. Put off the old self, that's not you anymore, and put on the new. And now he starts giving us, what does the new look like? And this is where we start to see the life of Christ on display. See, because all of Scripture has given these similar instructions. The Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures have talked about the life that God has designed us for, and all of these things are in there. And when Jesus came, he came to do a couple things. One, it was a forgiveness for our sins, so he came to stand in our place as our Messiah, the the anointed one of God, but he also modeled what this life of Christ, what a life as a Christian will look like. And so we look at the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. He fully embodied these things. So Paul's saying, this is now you. The life of Christ is in you. So put on these things. Now, we're going to break some of these down. Not all of them, but the first few I want to show you. In here, you see, there's this, I call it the posture of presence. Think of in your relationships. The posture of presence. What do I mean by that? Look at the first couple he mentions. Put on compassion. Put on compassion. One author defines compassion this way. It says, compassion is an awareness of the suffering of another coupled with the desire to see it relieved. Compassion is the awareness of the suffering coupled with a desire to see it relieved. So it's not just saying like, oh, that's really, man, you've really had some, you're going through some hard things. That's a bummer. Okay, there's a temptation to feel that way, right? That's not necessarily compassion. Compassion is seeing it and saying, I'm willing to sit with you in it. Henry Nouwen says this, Compassion asks us to go where it hurts and to enter into the places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. So think of your relationships. Think of the people in your life who you say, oh, man, they're just going through a lot. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a roommate. Maybe it's one of your kids. Maybe it's a parent, a neighbor, a close friend. Paul tells us, put on compassion just as Christ did. And compassion is seeing that pain and willing to sit in it. I think of it with our fence analogy is it's willing to see into someone's backyard and say, oh, that is a mess. But I'll still come back there and have a barbecue with you and sit in that. And if you want me to help you pick up this mess at any point, you let me know. But I, that's not going to scare me away. How many people do you just say like, ah, too high maintenance. I don't need this relationship. Raise your hand. No, don't. <laughs> Man, there's so many that you think, ah, I just don't feel like going there. But the life of Christ is putting on compassion. Compassion. Man, how many times do you think Jesus was hanging out, he saw the crowds, it's described as seeing the crowds and their pain and having compassion on them. How many times do you think he was just like, oh, I just wanted to go fishing. (laughs) I just wanted to hang out with the boys. And there's a crowd of people and they're a mess. But scripture says he saw them as sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion he went into the mess and said, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be present. Notice the next one. It's kindness. Kindness is such a buzzword these days, isn't it? You see kindness all the time. It's usually in a bumper sticker on the back of someone's Prius. And uh, you always have... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Some guys in my DNA group are, have Priuses, so, you know, I can say, but yeah, so you have like love, kindness, or whatever it is, and, and kindness is this really popular word, but often the, the bumper sticker for kindness is often on the same car that has something like, you know, some other political statements that basically say, and if you don't believe with this, you're, you, you suck. You know, you have kind of both of those, and, and so it's like, oh, love, kindness, as long as you agree with me. I think that's how we have kindness now in our world. Because it's not kindness for someone who doesn't agree. That's not 2022, but that's the way of Jesus. Kindness is a posture of presence. It's being willing to say, like, I'm going to treat you as if you matter, even if I don't agree. I'm willing to treat you with respect and dignity, even if I don't like the way you vote. Even if I don't like the music you listen to, even if you cheer for the Dodgers, like we are still going to give you kindness. It's a posture of presence. And kindness is not something you can just be, hey, I'm just, I'm a nice guy. Kindness is active. It's present. Put that on. As he co- continues on, look at this. Humility, gentleness, and patience. I kind of put these in the, in the category of, I call it the posture of understanding. The posture of understanding. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving with one another, or forgiving one another. See, it's a posture of understanding because it's not just saying, okay, I'm gonna be humble around you or I'll be patient with you, but it's actually saying, I get it. I understand, but there but by the grace of God go I. I know that, hey, there's things about you that are frustrating, but I know there's things about me that are frustrating. I know that I'm in process just as much as you are in process, and I know that you matter to God as much as I matter to God. It's a posture of understanding. It's not just it's not this kind of scorecard of, well, once you get a little further down the road like me, then you'll be more acceptable. But it's saying, oh, wherever we're at, you matter to God. humility paul describes it as being willing to consider others before yourself understand that it's a person who matters and they matter even in their struggles patience sometimes we think of patience as just being willing to wait a long time now i know we're in a beach city so we we're actually very patient i've lived in la in orange county when i moved down here i thought where did i come i came to the slowest place on earth Everyone's just mellow. It's fine. It's okay. So we're actually pretty patient as a culture with a lot of things. But patience isn't just being willing to wait a little while. I bet it has to do with surfing. That just hit me, right? Sometimes you're just waiting for the right wave, and you just have to be patient. I got it. Okay, there we go. A revelation while I'm speaking. But patience isn't just waiting. There's a story of a, a kid. He was working on his dad's farm, and he's driving this, this uh, pulling a big wagon filled with corn and hit some sort of bump or whatever, and the wagon tips over, and all the corn spilled out on the road. So he comes, gets out of it, and just one by one starts grabbing the corn, throwing it back into the wagon. That's a long process. He saw some neighbors came by, and they saw him, and they saw him, and they said, hey, that looks like a lot of work. I was like, do you want to take a break? We've got some, to take a break. We, we have lunch. We were just going to have a little picnic, and you want to eat with us? Well, and he goes, you know, I'd love to, but I don't think my dad would like that. I don't think he's going to be patient with me. And, and so he keeps throwing it in there, and they're like, but seriously, it's going to take you forever to do that. You just, we seriously have the food. If you want a quick break, take a break with us. He goes, ah, I don't know. I, I don't think my dad would be very happy. I don't think he's going to be patient. Finally, they convince him. He goes, fine, I'll just eat really quick. They eat, and he's like, thank you so much, but I'm not sure my dad's going to be happy. They're like, well, he, he's not even around. Like, what, where is your dad? Why would he care? Where is he? He goes, oh, he's buried under the corn. <laughs> sometimes we think of patience. Uh, ask the person next to you if you're just still staring at me. Uh, sometimes we think of patience as just being willing to wait a long time. But patience actually is this posture of being able to see someone and say, I know that you are in a process, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Married couples, isn't it great to be married to someone who knows that you are in process? Isn't that good? Any amens out there? (laughs) Patience is being willing to see someone and not think they need to be where you are at your pace let people grow and change at their pace patience is being willing to live them in the, with live with them and love them through the process and it takes effort but think of all the things that we had to change all the things that we realized we had our own stuff so paul says put this on put on patience and then he gets into and forgive one another bear one another's burdens and if you have a complaint, just as the Lord forgave you, be willing to forgive. Is it just me or does this feel like if the whole world would read this section of Colossians and put it into practice, we'd be a little better off? It feels like what the world needs right now is more and more people to understand the biblical principle of relationships. The biblical principles that are willing to actually bear with one another, forgive one another, offer patience, humility, gentleness, the real definition of it, which is so life-giving. So the next couple weeks, by the way, we're going to get real practical. We're going to talk about um, uh, even more practical as far as specific relationships that you're in. But for this, when you hear this, this is an easy task, right? Go home now and do these things. No problem. Just go home and, and when you know your kids do something that bugs you, just be like, oh, I'm just gonna be, I'm super patient. I'm patient now, because that's what preacher said, to be patient. It's easy. So how do we get ourselves to that place? Look at what Paul says as he continues on, because in verse 14. In addition to all these things, put on love, which is a perfected bond of unity. Now there's a thing that's gonna put all this together is when we put on love. Now notice, Paul has been using these words, put off and put on. So we're supposed to cast aside, put off the old self, put on the new self. We're supposed to put off our, our life of sin and put on a life in Christ. So how do we do that? How do we grow into our new clothes is the way I think of it. What does it look like growing into our new clothes? Because I think of it this way. I, we use this analogy from time to time. But So when I got married... I woke up that morning. I I was living down here in Southern California. My wife was living in Seattle. I was a bachelor. I got to eat mac and cheese and frozen pizza, and and that hasn't changed, but I used to eat it whenever I wanted, and and I could watch what I want, do what I want. That was life of a bachelor, and I flew up to Seattle, and we got married that day, and, and in a moment, I went from bachelor to husband. That moment. I changed, that was my new, that was who I was. But I didn't have all the husband things figured out yet. In fact, my wife would say, I still don't have all the husband things figured out yet. But my identity never changed. Even when I acted like Bachelor Ryan, I had to learn that things were different. When we said, hey, let's go on vacation, we're gonna go up to San Francisco, Bachelor Ryan would say, cool, we're going to San Francisco, it's planned, that's all we need, we know where we're going, vacation's planned. We might even have a place to stay, but other than that, we'll figure it out. Married Ryan, husband Ryan, realized that that's not a plan. I thought it was a plan, but I learned after the first vacation, that's not a plan. Has to be where are we going, where are we staying, and what will we be doing? And if we're going to have something that's not planned, at least plan it to be not planned. You with me? It's just like, these three hours, there's no plan. It's like, great, as long as I know we planned to plan nothing. That I had to learn. That's, that's, that's what husband Ryan had to learn. I didn't get that, but I still was a husband. I had to grow in that. Bachelor Ryan would go to bed at night, and in the morning, I'd wake up, and I'd make my bed and put the two pillows back, and then— and, And then husband Ryan realized, I wake up in the morning, I make my bed, put the two pillows back, and then I pick up all the pillows that belong on the bed, and I put the decorations on the bed for the day. Now, bachelor Ryan didn't know, I didn't know that was a rule. I see a lot of like, yes. (laughs) But then husband Ryan learned, I'm a husband, but that's, I have to figure out how to do, and fluff it just right, and get it there. That's, That's a rule. Now, I didn't get that. But it didn't make me not a husband. I had to grow into the clothes of a husband. So Paul tells us to put on this new life. Begin to grow into your new clothes. Grow into a life in Christ. And he gives us a few things as he ends with. Verse 15. He says, Let the peace of Christ, to which you were indeed called into one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. So first thing he tells us, growing indoor new clothes. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I was processing that this week and really thinking through, what does it mean to have the peace of Christ rule in my heart? How does that help my relationships? And what I realized is, is when we see the peace of Christ in Scripture, again, it's, it's, Paul writes it in Philippians chapter 4. He talks about uh, casting all of your cares on him. says, whatever, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything... Present your prayers and your requests to God. And the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart. So the peace of Christ is this belief that we have that God is in control. And if God is in control, who doesn't have to be? Me. You. If God is in control, guess who you don't have to control? Your roommates, your coworkers, your kids, your spouse, your neighbor. And I don't mean you never give instruction to your kids or or your coworkers or anything like that, but you know what I mean. How much turmoil do we have because we cannot control the people in our lives? Paul gives us all these instructions on what it looks like to wear your new clothes. And then he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Trust that God is on his throne. And if you trust that God is on his throne, you can trust that you, he doesn't need you to be on the throne. Trust that he has your friends, your family, your kids, your coworkers, your spouse in his hands. So let the peace of Christ rule your heart. And secondly, verse 16, we see the word of Christ richly dwell in you. The word of Christ richly dwell within you. Friends, we are going to get sidetracked over and over again. And if we, until we allow the word of Christ, these, the teachings of scripture, the life and the ways of Jesus to rule in us, to dwell in us, we're going to keep losing our way. Paul reminds us that all Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, training, and righteousness. That the Word of God dwelling in us gives us the tools we need, the understanding we need to interact with others. It increases our belief in God and who He is and His sovereignty. So let the Word of God dwell in you. I'm kind of fatigued at seeing people create their own truth over and over again. I take my breaks from social media because I kind of get tired of seeing what truth is and everyone will post. And who are, the, who are the ones who get to speak truth? Those with the most followers. That's not a good recipe for truth to dwell within you. And so Paul reminds us, let the word of Christ dwell within you. In verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wow. When we think of our relationships, we think of the ones that are complicated, maybe some that are less. We think of what it looks like to put on the new self. All this sounds so good. But ultimately, for us, it comes down to doing what we do in word and in deed in the name of the Lord Jesus, our new identity. And when we do that, the results are up to God. When we do that, we start to find that we're experiencing the joy of living the life that He's designed us to live. But it takes surrender. It takes surrender. When I use that fence analogy from Robert Frost, what are you walling in or walling out? I wonder for some of us in this room today, what are you walling in? saying, I'm keeping this to myself because I don't want this part of me exposed. What are you walling out? I just don't want to know you that well because I don't want to see your mess. I don't want to have to do something about it. I don't want to have to enter in. It's too much work. And as Robert Frost ends his poem, he says, as I think about all this, I don't love a wall. I want the walls down. Friends, I believe that God wants us to live our lives with the walls down, fully trusting in him to transform and change us, and also fully trusting in him to allow us to be Christ to others and let the results be in his hands. So we're going to end our time here, and as we end our time, we're going to sing one last song, and the song is called You Can Have It All. And the song is really a response to God saying, Lord, you can have all of this, all of me. Breathe your life into me, into my heart. Take it, Lord. But you can have it. I don't want it anymore. So I want to invite you to, let's start this song and, and when you want, would you just join in? You can stay with some prayer, but then just stand with us and sing when you feel like you want to sing with us. And if you just want to reflect the whole time, feel free. But let this song be a response, a posture of our heart, saying, God, this is yours, all of it. The key to the real relationships, are full surrender. So we want to invite you today to respond. And, and when you're ready, feel free. and, and Let's let God move in this place. That is our prayer here this morning, Lord. That we want You to take our life, that's Yours, and breathe on it, Lord. Breathe Your life into it. We know who we are in You, and God. So we surrender and want You to continue to live Your life through us. And God, the days when we hold on and we fall back to our old self. We are so grateful that in you, we are going to find nothing but love and forgiveness. And God, the days when we look a lot like our new self. We can rejoice because we see the power of you working in us and transforming us. So we thank you for that. And God, I pray that as we go today, will you empower us? Would you encourage us? Would you give us the joy of living in our new selves? And God, may we live our life in a way that others see you. And we do pray for healing in our relationships. We pray for hope in our relationships. So God, would you move through us and in us and around us this week as we go. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey friends, it's so great, great to have you here with us this morning. And we just want to encourage you as you go. Hey, You don't have to get this perfect Okay, we're gonna have some stumbling along the way and if you heard this message with someone that you live with today, don't use this as fuel against each other. Use it as encouragement for one another and and bear with one another, forgive each other and love each other this week and let's love our world so that the world may know that there's a God who loves them. You with me on that? All right, thanks for being here. Have a great week. Say hello to someone next to you. Go grab some coffee and we'll see you next week.